how do we change the delivery of healthcare? Some things will improve lives and cost money. They might be worth it. Some things will cost money and not improve lives, and those are the things that we would call waste. And so this idea of really testing what works and what doesn't, I think, is important. From the MIT Sloan School of Management, this is Data Made to Matter. I'm Neil Hartman. An applied economist uses data to root out the real causes of waste in our healthcare system. Joseph Doyle is professor of management and applied economics at MIT Sloan. He analyzes natural experiments in healthcare to connect cause and effect. I spoke with Joe about how healthcare costs can be reined in by treating the whole patient and why he's drawn to work in this field. All of us have been touched by the healthcare system. Sure. And so we're always wondering when you're in the hospital or you're thinking about a doctor to choose, you know, what is the right decision? Um, so a relative of mine got sick at my house. I live equidistant from a teaching hospital and a community hospital. And this is a question, well, is it better to go to a community hospital where it's sort of not as busy and might be a little bit friendlier versus a teaching hospital, which has teams of people learning how to practice medicine, you know, which model is better? And when a family member is sick, you want to get the best for them. So it's, that's always sort of driven my research as well as on a personal level. What can we learn about what healthcare systems actually improve people's lives? Okay. And as an applied economist, of course, you've been looking at what leads to better outcomes. So waste is something we hear a lot about in terms of healthcare. From your research, are hospitals that spend more just wasting money? Well, that's a great question. You'll often hear that 30% of U.S. healthcare is wasted, and that's closing in on a trillion dollars of waste. That's a lot of waste. Uh, much of my research is trying to figure out where the waste is or are those claims of 30% waste um, useful. And one of the results is that high-cost hospitals don't get better outcomes than low-cost hospitals. That's a common finding in the, in the literature. Now, my concern as an economist, we're always worried about what we call selection bias. So people who go to a hospital, like, say, a teaching hospital, they do appear sicker than those who go to, a, say, a community hospital. You might imagine that people who are being triaged, that they are sent to the um, larger, more expensive hospital if they're in worse condition, sure. that they have more complex cases. And so when you do the correlation, then it will make it look as though the high-cost hospitals get worse outcomes. So I've had a few papers now where I've tried to compare apples to apples, very similar patients that go to different hospitals. In a recent study, we looked at which ambulance company picked you up when you called 911. And so it turns out that the ambulance company that arrives is effectively random. We find that this random assignment of the ambulance company affects hospital choice, and then we can characterize which hospitals get better outcomes. Contrary to this large literature that finds that hospital choice really doesn't matter for survival from an emergency, we find in these emergency cases that the high-cost hospitals, teaching hospitals, those who are more invasive, they tend to get better outcomes. And so that just calls into question this zero correlation that's been at the heart of the 30% of U.S. healthcare is wasted. At the same time, we do believe that there is a waste somewhere, and we do spend twice as much as any other developed country on healthcare per capita. So it does seem like we may be able to do things more efficiently. So one of the more recent um, studies we've done also showed that hospitals that send patients to skilled nursing facilities have much higher spending and they have much worse outcomes. So they have much higher mortality rates. So if you go to a hospital that sends other patients to nursing homes, as opposed to a different hospital that sends most of their patients home, then you have a much higher mortality rate. It seems to me that getting people healthy enough to go home, which most people prefer to go home than a nursing facility anyway, sure. could be a new quality measure that we could encourage hospitals to get people healthy enough and have the supports at home as opposed to going to nursing facilities, which are much more expensive 
And it doesn't look like we're getting better outcomes there. Of course, that's subject to more research. I'd love to do more research on that particular question. Oh, terrific. Uh, so doctors may have very different bedside manners, but they've all gone through medical schools and certifications. Uh, does it matter who my doctor is? And do different doctors produce different outcomes? So I've tried to look at, again, trying to have natural experiments where we have very similar patients that are exposed to different doctors. In one study, I'm looking at what doctors happen to be around in the hospital on the day that you arrive with a health emergency. So let's say a patient has heart failure. They go through the emergency room. They get admitted to the hospital. What is the mix of doctors available to that patient on that day versus a similar patient only two weeks later in the same hospital? What I do find is with heart failure patients and with heart attack patients that when you arrive and there are more cardiologists around, you have much lower mortality at one year. And it might not be too surprising for a heart attack patient that when you arrive that you'd want to have more cardiologists available to help. But there is a controversy about whether we have too many specialists in the United States. One reason why we might have more waste and more spending in the United States is that we have fragmentary care where we have many doctors working on a patient and they have to communicate with one another. That could be less efficient. So what I find is that if we have more specialists in the hospital on the day you arrive, more specialists tailored to your condition, that you do have higher survival at one year. And so that's just one area where we might want to have a lot of specialists around. And this is contrary to some arguments that we should have more generalists in order to have patients cared for in a more coordinated way, in a way that can reduce spending and improve health. Here I'm finding the opposite, that if we have more specialists around, that you actually get better outcomes. Ah, interesting. So some of your work also combines health and welfare in new hybrid ways. Tell us about your work in healthcare in this notion called hotspotting. Right. So hotspotting is an idea that's been forged by Dr. Jeff Brenner at the Camden Coalition of Healthcare Providers. Jeff won a MacArthur Genius Award a few years ago. He's an extremely smart person who loves data um, and trying to use data to improve healthcare systems. So one thing he can do with his data is figure out who the super utilizers are, hotspot, either the area of the city or actually just the patients themselves who drive healthcare spending. About half of spending in the United States is driven by 5% of patients. Wow. And from one year to the next, about 40% of people who are in that top category will again be in that top category the next year. So we know we have some, quote unquote, frequent flyers to the <laughs> hospital or to the emergency room. And an idea is that if we could figure out how to target those patients and improve their health and improve their use of the healthcare system in a more efficient way, that we could actually improve their lives and save a lot of money at the same time. So Jeff's flagship idea of how to improve U.S. healthcare system is to target those patients and then have a team who will intervene on the patient for about three months where they make numerous home visits. They work on clinical needs of the patient. So that means attending doctor's appointments with the patients, having the patients understand what the medications are for, how to take them, how to remember to take them, get transportation to their doctor's appointments. But one of the exciting parts of this, especially from an economist standpoint, is that they also target the social needs of the patient. So that includes getting patients stable housing. It means getting them on food stamps if they're eligible for that. It means, again, getting transportation um, around the city. And so this idea of treating the social determinants of health, treating the, say, poverty of the patient, in addition to treating their clinical needs, could be very powerful in improving patients' lives and saving money on the healthcare system. So you'll have, say, Medicaid programs or certainly Medicare or other payers that might be interested in investing in the lives of patients, especially these super utilizers, in order to save money on healthcare 
And it has this extra benefit of improving the lives of the patients themselves. This, this really seems to be a, um, a nice model of looking at treating the person as a whole person. That's the idea, absolutely. So this idea of socially and clinically complex patients and these social determinants of health, these are hot topics right now. I'm working with Geisinger, very preliminary. They're rolling out a fresh food pharmacy program in Scranton, Pennsylvania, which is my hometown. And that is uh, targeting people with diabetes um, that's out of control. Oh, wow. You know, every week they get to go in and get a week's worth of meals for their whole family right. that are healthier than typical. So we're lowering the cost on eating healthy. And the observational studies, the correlations suggest that people exposed to this program have huge reductions in their sh blood sugar levels. And so now we're working on randomizing people into this program and out as they roll it out. And it's particularly interesting in my hometown. And it goes back to the social determinants of health. I think the more I think about it, that's where I want to be pushing on over the next few years is how can we treat poverty, essentially, and see how it improves people's health. Does this fresh food pharmacy program uh, also work to reduce the uh, number of drugs that people would, would be on? Ultimately, if you could get people out of this out-of-control diabetes state toward controlling their diabetes, yeah, right, then they can reduce their pharmaceutical use so they can just be healthier in general. And if you're getting it for the whole family, you can imagine there's spillovers on the family. Sure. Do you want to do this for the rest of people's lives, buying them food for the rest of their lives? Probably not. So can we change people's habits right. so they get used to eating more healthy foods? And then if you taper it off over time, does it, how long do you have to have this program go on for? So lots of things to test. And Geisinger is a uh, payer provider, similar to Kaiser in California, where they internalize the cost of their spending because they're the insurer and the provider. Right. And so you see those types of institutions are the ones innovating on trying to improve people's lives in that way because they internalize the savings. And of course, they want, everybody wants to help people, but if you're helping people and it's costing you money and you just can't afford it, that's one thing. If you're helping people and it's actually saving you money, then it's a different It's even better, yeah. sure. So Joe, how is this research going to impact policy around some of these decisions? Well, there are major policy debates right now about how do we pay for healthcare. You've probably heard of accountable care organizations. These are vertically integrated, you know, hospital to outpatient clinics that are coordinating care. And instead of paying these physicians and providers for every test that they do, the big idea is to import some economics theory that says if we start paying a lump sum, so just $1 payment for a person, say, in your panel, or perhaps after a heart attack, pay for 90 days of care, then we change those marginal incentives. Instead of, okay, let's run another test, we'll get paid for another test, it's if you run another test and pay for that, that it will come out of the profits of the, of the hospitals. So then people start to think about, well, what are their costs? They're not just being reimbursed for their costs anymore, they actually have to pay their costs on the margin. That's the whole idea of economics is marginal incentives. And we've seen this work in other domains within healthcare. So back in the 80s, we found that if we paid hospitals a lump sum for patient of various types, let's say a heart attack patient, that dramatically reduced the length of stay in the hospital because hospitals now internalize the cost of keeping people in the hospital. Before they got paid, the more the people stayed in the hospital. Now they didn't, so they changed their behavior. Accountable care organizations have a similar premise, and now we can start to think about healthcare providers investing in the needs of patients holistically. If getting a patient's housing is a way that you could then reduce your costs, before no one really had an incentive to do that. But accountable care organizations will have that type of incentive in order to reduce their cost structure. So this randomized control trial is just one of many of trying to see how do we change the delivery of healthcare 
in ways that can improve lives and save money at the same time. Some things will improve lives and cost money. They might be worth it. Some things will cost money and not improve lives. And those are the things that we would call waste. And so this idea of really testing what works and what doesn't, I think is important for models that pick up, oh, we should be doing more of this because it does save money versus other programs that don't work. Then we can start to prune those away. How can global business leaders apply your research? One of the main findings in management research for many years now, but we're getting better and better information about this, is that businesses that follow the data, that collect data on how their operations are running and take that data seriously, that could be done in a qualitative way, it could be done in a quantitative way, but they give you hints about how to improve your business. And we see that businesses that adopt those data-driven technologies similar to evidence-based policymaking, evidence-based business policymaking. So what works in the data, then testing whether those ideas work with increasingly randomized trials within businesses. So Google runs at least 10,000 experiments a year where they're testing what works and what doesn't in their website. We can see some of the most successful companies having a data-driven approach in that way and improving their businesses. Terrific. So we'll look forward to the results of your research in the future. Joe, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you. Joe Doyle is a professor of management and applied economics at the MIT Sloan School of Management. Joe's working papers are posted at the National Bureau of Economic Research. You can read up on his work by going to nber.org and searching for Joseph Doyle. Data Made to Matter is a production of the MIT Sloan School of Management. We are committed to bringing together MIT's intellectual resources to help managers invent the future. You can learn more at sloan.mit.edu. If you like our show, please subscribe. You can leave us ratings, comments, and questions on iTunes. I'm Neil Hartman. Join us next time for Data Made to Matter. <laughs>